0: Welcome to Business Buzz. This is your host, Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm really happy to be here on such a beautiful day. It's just about Thanksgiving 2017. That's pretty exciting. I noticed as the business of the local economy gets closer to the holiday, everybody just starts being less and less around. I know the retail area, of course, had the big Christmas preview Sunday. And I know they're gearing up for a lot of retail sales, so that's really good. But as far as office people and appointments, people just aren't in the mood to really do a lot of work this week. So that's kind of good. We're in a a holiday week. It's kind of nice. So today I'm sort of feeling like my main goal for the listeners is for you to understand that you need to protect your money now. As far as business and income, I'm also here to help with how do you lower your taxes? How do you keep everything going right? How do you calculate proper uh, bookkeeping? And you know who should be helping you with those things? That's part of my business also. But here on Business Buzz, I really like to talk to everyone because not all of you are self-employed. Some of you are retired. And so you're really not in the current business world per se. But the main thing is your money that you worked hard to save may be at risk. And I'm kind of here as a watchman to sort of help you make sure that you at least keep your mind on safety when it comes to the money you think you have and the money that you saved all those years. And it's just really important to be careful. I've got a couple of real interesting topics today. We're also going to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving, which is always, you know, it's a it's a real nice family-oriented holiday. Hopefully, you've got some family uh, with you this week. If not, hopefully, you've got some uh, fun way to celebrate a, a nice American holiday. I think behind July 4th, it's probably the most American holiday we have because the other ones are pretty much usually shared worldwide, but... Thanksgiving and July 4th are, are pretty all-American. So, Now, the first topic I wanted to talk to you about is that everybody's aware of what's called the FDIC, and that's where they have told you that your bank accounts are guaranteed by the federal government agency called the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. I've talked about this in the past, but it's a good reminder The total amount in bank accounts in the United States that are, quote, FDIC insured, I believe are something like five or six trillion dollars, something to that effect. The FDIC's reserves, I believe the last time I read them, were somewhere around 40 or 50 billion dollars. When I did the math on that ratio, if there was a large banking problem, Each $1,000 that you have, if they were to reimburse everybody using their, quote, reserve, I believe something like each $1,000 in the bank, you would get back something like $4. It was either $4 or 40 cents. I can't remember the math right off the top of my head. What does that mean for you? It means that if there were to be some sort of systemic bank problem and they decided to kind of lock up the bank accounts, there might not be enough insurance to give you anything near what you think you have. So when they tell you you're insured to $250,000 per bank, just be careful. And the reason, the reason I want to say be careful, especially now, is not only is the reserve kind of a joke being such a low percentage, but I've got an article here that came out on the 19th, which is uh, just pretty recent, It's from my favorite news website, the one I just kind of watch all day long because they post something every hour or two that's always real good, up-to-date financial news. The website's called zerohedge.com, just like it sounds, zerohedge.com. And this article is called ECB Proposes End to Deposit Protection. What's the ECB? That's the European Central Bank. I believe Europe is maybe the second largest economy in the world behind China, maybe the third behind China and U.S., I'm not sure. But Europe as a group is a very large economy, and their central bank's called the ECB. I'm just going to read a little bit of this article, and this is mainly so you're aware of the kind of shenanigans that these people that run these banks are thinking. It is the opinion of the European Central Bank that the deposit protection scheme is no longer necessary quote covered deposits and claims under investment compensation schemes should be replaced by limited discretionary exemptions to be granted by the competent authority in order to retain a degree of flexibility now what is that that sounds like gobbledygook to me here's another little quote Now, think about this. Think about your money in the bank that you gave to the bank to kind of hold for you. Listen to this. Quote, during a transitional period, depositors should have access to an appropriate amount of their covered deposits to cover the cost of living within five working days of a request. So the article goes on to say, so that's a relief. You'll only need to wait five days for some, quote, competent authority, end quote, to deem what is an quote, appropriate amount, end quote, of your own money for you to have access to in order to eat, pay bills, and get to work. The above has been taken from an ECB paper published on November 8, 2017, entitled On Revisions to the Union Crisis Management Framework. What I'm trying to get across here, I don't want to bore you, but what one central bank comes up with is usually... It'll end up filtering into everybody's bank ideas, and they're all kind of working together. They all think alike. What it is is that when these banks have a lot of trouble, what are they going to grab? And it's basically the money you've put in is going to be grabbed in some form. And I can't express enough how much you should at least read about what happened to the country called Cyprus I believe it was in 2012 or 2013. And you need to learn what happened there because there's a thing called bail-ins. And legally, it's actually a legal precedent that your money that you put in your bank account is a loan to that bank. And they can do what they want with it. And basically, that just means you may or may not get it back. Now, the theory of the FDIC is to make sure that you do get it back if the fdic has 40 billion but there's five trillion of those accounts it could end up at some point being like a giant game of musical chairs which is what you'll if you read about cyprus you'll see how that goes they end up with long lines at the atms they decide that you can only get out the equivalent of two or three hundred dollars per week from your account and They basically lock up the system. I'm not saying that's going to happen here. I'm just saying it could happen here. And that's why you should hedge your money and not be sitting in basic things that are digital. They're controlled by computers. And if bad things happen, you might not have access to your money. So... Just another little warning. I like to keep you posted. And Zero Hedge is just a great website to go to. It's got good financial news. It's got good other news, too. It's not only financial, but it's a lot of good financial stuff. So I recommend that you put zerohedge.com into your uh, little favorites list. It's It's an interesting place to go. I'm going to give you an update on my cryptocurrency world that I started just two weeks ago. It's been really interesting. I'm learning a lot. I have a lot more to learn, but I do want to educate you. When you hear the word Bitcoin, what do you think of? Do you think, oh, that's crazy? Do you think, oh, it's gone way up? Oh, it goes up and down real fast? Well, Actually, all three of those answers are true. It's kind of crazy, but what it is is it's becoming sort of the go-to place for people who are a little bit nervous about traditional investments. The stock market is setting new records all the time. The bond market keeps going up, and so do these cryptocurrencies It seems to be an alternative place where people want to be invested to a certain degree just to be sort of safe in a little bit of a whole different world. In my opinion, a vote to put money into cryptocurrencies, and I'll just call them cryptocurrencies because there's a lot of them, the main one being Bitcoin. It's a vote against the paper money system that we're living with right now. I've said this before, I'll reiterate, since 1913, the value of the dollar against goods and real things has gone down by about 97%. And the sad part of that is that the stated goal of the Federal Reserve, which is our central bank, is to create inflation. Well, if the goal is to create inflation, that is the same as saying the goal is to devalue the dollar. If you are holding dollars earning basically zero right now in your savings account, but the price of everything is going up, you're losing money as we speak. That's, that's in my opinion, why this cryptocurrency world is gaining some momentum, people are getting into it. I do regret not getting into it sooner because uh, i 'm looking at these charts, and there 's some of these cryptocurrencies uh, just a year ago were like under $1 a dollar apiece, and now they 're seventy dollars uh, we're talking like a hundred and fifty to one ratio we're talking much better than Amazon, much better than uh, what 's the other one? Oh Facebook, much better than the Fang stocks. There's a lot of money to be made. Now, yes, there's a lot of risk. You have to watch yourself. But in the general idea of what cryptocurrencies represent, to me, it's very likely that they're going to go nowhere but up. Of course, the problem is, which one do you get into? But if you get into a good quality one, you're probably going to be fairly safe. Like I say, it's a whole new thing, but I'm definitely involved in it. Here's why I'm mainly interested in it and why I'm involved now. I spent a lot of years realizing the entire scam of the paper money system we're in. I studied the fact that the average paper currency has a life of about 27 years on average. Our paper money, since it got decoupled from gold in 1971, is now 46 years old. We're already pushing it as far as how long this currency can go that in addition to the whole thing of the reason why the dollar is the reserve currency of the world has to do with Saudi Arabian oil and that whole Saudi Arabian scene is becoming a complete circus. That could all be changing big time, which means that the dollar as the reserve currency could also be changing. I've been interested in putting some of my savings into gold and silver and what I've noticed with gold and silver is In my opinion, gold and silver should have charts that look like these cryptocurrencies, but they don't. And the reason is the cryptocurrencies have not been figured out how to be manipulated yet. I'm not sure when that's going to happen. If they put them on an exchange, they can end up having short sellers knocking the price down. So at some point, I'm guessing that some part of the cryptocurrency world will end up being uh, under the control of the same people who are manipulating bonds, stocks, and precious metal prices. What I see is that people looking for an alternative have gone into this cryptocurrency space, and I'm just recommending that you at least learn about it. There's tons of things you can read. I've found a lot of good places on YouTube where there's some guys who review the charts every day, kind of like stock charts, but it's cryptocurrency charts and when i do get back from the break i'm going to educate you a little bit on how the world works as far as the prices of things and how these prices get arrived at i've got a really good short description of that that i'm going to share with you after the break it's just not that it's not that big of a jump in a leap of faith to think about in case paper money does lose its luster when people lose confidence that's when it goes down i've talked about venezuela before it's terrible there there's there's hyperinflation the shelves are clean of things everybody's hoarding what they can get it's really bad so when we come back from the break i'm going to give you a little bit more detail on what i'm talking about and it's very interesting stuff this is harold littlejohn cpa on business buzz see you in a minute
1: Rick Box, founder of Integrity Resource Center, with today's Integrity
0: Moment. When my wife Kathy arrived at the nursing home, her mother tearfully said, Please get me to the bathroom. Kathy discovered that her mother had been overlooked by the nurse all day.
1: Her mother's clothes were soaked in urine and she was not even fully dressed. Kathy asked for the nurse assigned to her mother. When Kathy addressed her concerns, the nurse became defensive and combative, making excuses for her poor nursing care. Kathy was simply looking for
0: an apology and some assurances that it wouldn't happen again, but that never happened. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen teaches, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who
1: confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. If you made a mistake in your job, a simple confession and apology will heal many wounds. To order Rick's new book, Unconventional Business, visit integrityresource.org. That's integrityresource.org. <laughs> Astronaut
2: Bob the Drop here. There's been a lot of talk about water found on Mars.
1: Why would you go all the way to Mars for water when we have the best tasting water at Mount Shasta? It comes from our protected springs and is delivered right to your door. Great
2: landing, Bob. Hey, where are you going with that?
1: Those Martians are stealing my water. Guess we have some new customers. And anyone can get Mount Shasta spring water if they call us at 1-800-922-6227. Pure and simple,
2: naturally the best. Mount Shasta spring water.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn CPA here on another beautiful Chico day. I was talking about this price manipulation. What it is is that the markets that we look at and that we live with are supposed to be representing true value of the things that you're looking at. But what I'm trying to get across here is that there is no real true value going on in most of the markets these days. I do believe that that cryptocurrency market being young, being different and being unmanipulatable at least for now is more of a true market probably than when you look at your stock charts or when you definitely when you watch the TV news. So I want to give you a little quick instruction of what I'm talking about when I say that the price of precious metals are mani- manipulated what happened was just about two days ago, on the tw- uh, it was on the 20th, which is actually yesterday morning, somebody sold over a billion and a half dollars worth of gold in one minute on the paper gold market, and the volume spike, if anybody's ever looked at a stock chart, the top part of the chart is the price area showing what the price is with a line But the bottom part of the chart is the volume, and those are little sticks that go up. Well, the volume is gigantic in the morning, and the price of gold went down yesterday morning like $20 an ounce within a minute. So anybody, now here's, here's what I'm saying. The whole plan for this is that if you saw that your savings was sitting there earning zero interest, but if you saw that gold was climbing from 1,000 an ounce to 2,000 an ounce to 5,000 an ounce to 20,000 an ounce, what do you think your reaction would be? What would you think you would do? A lot of people, and I've seen this happen at, at, because I've got a lot of clients that we discuss money, a lot of people will take money out of the bank and buy an ounce of gold. And the reason why this manipulation is going on is because that cannot happen the system will implode if enough people need to pull money out of the bank. And so that's what I'm trying to explain here. So I want to give you this real good short article that explains this. So this article says, just a little reminder about how this works. Nobody in their right mind would come in and all of a sudden have to sell 12,128 contracts for getting the price. That's over $1.5 billion in gold sold in one single minute. Now, I will point out here, each contract represents 100 ounces of fake gold that nobody has in their possession here. These exchanges do not have that much gold. Okay, so the article goes on. Sure, this is not to say every contract sold that minute from, was from one person. What it means is that a huge order comes in. It hits everybody's bid and then some. This causes traders who are long, who are betting the price will rise, to sell out of their positions because they are losing money. For example, Person buys gold this morning at $1,293. That's per ounce. They set up a stop loss at $1,280. This means they are willing to lose $13 on the trade and sell automatically to get out of it so they don't lose any more. A huge order comes in at 11.37 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is just what happened. The order blows through 12.80 to the downside, so the trader is sold out of his position. Now, I want to make sure you understand what's going on in that little skit. Somebody at 8 o'clock in the morning, well, 8 o'clock our time, 11 o'clock Eastern, bought gold when it was 12.93 an ounce, but said in essence, I'm buying gold because I think it's going up. If though I'm wrong and if the price dips to 1280, I want out. That's what this thing's talking about. So when someone came in and sold a billion and a half dollars of fake paper gold, it pushed the price down so low that the 1280 price was achieved and the guy who bought it at 1293 a half hour ago just lost $1,300 per contract. So I'm going to read that again. Person buys gold this morning at 1293 They set up a stop loss at 1280 This means they are willing to lose $13 times 100 on the trade and sell automatically to get out of it so they don't lose any more. A huge order comes in at 1137 a.m. Eastern, which is just what happened. The order blows through 1280 to the downside so the trader is sold out of his position. Now multiply this by hundreds and hundreds of traders that are in the market setting stop losses to not lose too much money. When the banks flood the sell orders, the longs losing money are forced to sell out of their positions. Others legitimately trying to sell must sell at a lower price because there is a massive order dropping that price. The banks, on the other hand, just sold all that gold. They didn't have any gold. They sold it short, meaning they sold it first and have to buy it back later. Now, I'm going to just interject here. They say the banks. What the point of this article is, is that no individual trader would sell like that. This is done by banks with unlimited money to burn, which is our tax money. If they buy it back later at a lower price they make money. They sold it for 12.93 and bought it from our trader above at 12.80. The bank made $13. Our trader lost $13 and since the trader does not have unlimited money but because the banks can sell unlimited paper gold to push down the price the bank wins. The time when it stops is when there is no gold left on the COMEX, which is the exchange that supposedly holds all the gold, to deliver. That is the point when the manipulation is up. Until then, the banks can always strong-arm the individual because the banks print the money and the paper gold. But there is indeed a limit to selling short because actual gold has to be delivered. The other thing forcing a floor where the price can't get, go lower is the cost of production. Printing paper gold is free, but mining the real thing costs money. So they can't push too far. It's a delicate balance, but it works and will work until it won't. And that is when we see perhaps, quote, commercial signal failure, which is when they sold too much gold and can't deliver it all. And then this article says, Welcome to your first lesson in market manipulation and price suppression 101 except real physical gold and silver is very expensive to mine and must be delivered into the market so the real thing backstops the downside manipulation. So anyway, I wanted to point that out to you because a lot of people don't understand when I try to explain to them that the price of metals is being manipulated. They're thinking, "Well, how can that be? I can call I can call some place that I find on the internet and I can order uh, 2 ounces of gold and I can buy it for $12.93 an ounce or whatever the going price is. And the answer to that is yes. You can buy a couple of ounces of gold for twelve ninety three, and that keeps everybody happy and everybody thinking that is the price of gold. But in reality, if you have a multi-billionaire like one of these Saudi princes and they want to buy, say, $100 million worth of gold the actual going rate when you want gold in large volumes of physical gold is actually about twice the spot price. Those guys are probably paying two to $3,000 an ounce to get large amounts of gold into their hands right now. And of course to them, it's worth it because they've got too much money and a lot of them are aware of the fact that the paper money world is possibly ready to get it turned on its side of its head when people start losing confidence in paper money. So, and when you think about it, you know, a paper dollar, the only reason it has any value is because the guy at the store selling uh, you know, cans of cola will accept the dollar in trade for the cola or will accept the $3 in trade for a gallon of gas. Other than that, there's no value, there's no what they call intrinsic value to the paper dollar. So it's all a psychology thing, and it's all a matter of people's confidence in the system. Now, speaking of the confidence in the system, I have another article I wanted to share with you today. It's another one from my, one of my favorite authors, Egon von Greyers G-R-E-Y-E-R-Z, and his company, it looks like it's called Gold Switzerland. He's a Swiss guy. And I do like to read from him now and then because he he has these short articles that succinctly kind of keep everything in perspective. And as soon as this breaks over, we're going to come back and listen to a little bit of Egon. So Harold Littlejohn CPA will be right back.
1: Hi, this is James McDonald. And you know, I didn't just stumble into Christian radio. Actually, I was personally impacted and had my life changed by Christian radio as a young man. And I bet the same has happened for you. Take a moment to contact your station right now. Let them know how their ministry has impacted your life. And might I suggest a gift, a financial contribution to help them continue and their passionate commitment to get God's word to you. My name is Meera Batra, and this is how I live United. Many families have come to America for a better life. I advocate for these families with United Way. United Way empowers them to see opportunities available. We help them get involved with their kids, schools, and network within the community. My name is Meera Batra. I help families see opportunity and succeed. I don't just wear this shirt. I live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. It's 6.42 p.m. Time for Steve Plato and his son Dylan to do the dishes. They talk about everything from the yuckiness of girls to the awesomeness of his soccer team. Sometimes they don't talk at all. Then, hey, the dreaded (laughs) splash fight. It's dad o'clock, and it's the best time of the day because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, CPA here. Another gorgeous Chico day. I can't get over how nice it is here this time of year. Usually I notice that Thanksgiving is very often a real nice, clear, cool day and hardly ever any rain on Thanksgiving. So hopefully we'll have that this Thursday also. So before the break, I was mentioning this article. I wanted to share some thoughts with a man named Egon von Greyer's He's talking about the biggest wealth transfer in history. And he says the concentration of wealth in the world has now reached dangerous proportions. The three richest people in the world have a greater wealth than the bottom 50%. The top 1% have a wealth of $33 trillion, while the bottom 1% have a debt of $196 billion. The interesting point is not just that the rich are getting richer and the poor, poorer. More interesting is, understand, is to understand how did we get there and what will be the consequences. Then he mentions that uh, if you guys have heard of what's called the Panama Papers, it was a revelation of a leaked thing from a big investment place down in Panama, which is sort of like a tax haven secret, kind of like Switzerland used to be. And so Panama, it turns out, There's a scandal called the Panama Papers, and it's got all these details of these uh, drug money and uh, money that's been secretly flying around with these rich guys' accounts and linking to various famous people, and it's pretty sad. Anyway, I'm going to just read this real quick because this is really interesting. As the socialist-dominated media dig into the Panama Papers to attack the rich and tell governments to tackle the unacceptable face of capitalism, Nobody understands the real reasons for this enormous concentration of wealth. Sadly, and I agree with this wholeheartedly, no journalist does any serious analysis of any issue, whether it is fake economic figures or the state of the world economy. Instead, all news is accepted as the truth, while in fact a lot of news is fake or propaganda. The media is reveling in all the disclosures of offshore trusts and companies. The British Queen is being accused of having hidden funds. The fact that offshore entities have been used legally for centuries for privacy, wealth preservation, and creditor protection purposes is never mentioned. The media sell much more news by being sensational rather than factual. And here's Egon's take on this thing. He says, inequality is due to irresponsible monetary policy. He says, let me first put the facts right. It is not capitalism in its traditional sense which has created this enormous concentration. One definition of capitalism is, quote, an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. Then he goes on to say, the controlled by private owners part of the definition fits our current Western system. But what is missing is that the current economic system could not function without complete state sponsorship and interference. This is the clever construction that a group of top bankers devised on Jekyll Island in the U.S. in November 1910. This was the meeting that led to the creation of the Fed in 1913. The Central Bank of the U.S. was set up as a private bank and thus controlled by private bankers for their own benefit. The bankers devised what one of their forefathers, Meyer Amschel Rothschild, had preached and the quote from Rothschild is let me issue and control a nation's money and I care not who writes the laws and Egon goes on to say from the bankers point of view this was a brilliant idea they now had total control of the money without having to risk more than a smaller part of their own capital and the government found this system perfect for buying the people's votes by issuing more and more debt and allowing banks to leverage their balance sheets The nation saw their standard of living increase significantly. More cars, more televisions, holidays, iPhones, etc. Little did the people realize that their improved standards were all at the expense of massive increases in government debt and personal debt. U.S. debt up 1,800 times in 100 years. Total U.S. debt in 1913 was $39 billion dollars. Today, it is $70 trillion, up 1,800 times. But that only tells part of the story. There were virtually no unfunded liabilities in 1913. Today, there are $130 trillion of those. So adding the $70 trillion debt to the unfunded liabilities gives a total liability of $200 trillion. In 1913, U.S. debt to GDP was 150%. Today, including unfunded liabilities, the figure becomes almost 1,000%. This is the burden that ordinary Americans are responsible for, a burden that will break the U.S. people and the U.S. economy, as well as the dollar. While ordinary people have been landed with liabilities that they can never repay, the bankers and the 1% elite have profitably used, abused the leverage that the debt expansion has created and thus amassed massive fortunes. That is why we are seeing this enormous inequality in wealth. Ordinary people have not yet realized that they are liable for this debt. They will, of course, never repay it, nor will anyone else. Governments will try to solve the problem by printing even more money, thus exacerbating the problem. Eventually, this will lead to high inflation, turning to hyperinflation, with interest rates going to at least 15 to 20 percent, but probably higher. At that point, central banks have lost total control of their interest rate manipulation. The world will then discover that this time the money printing will have no effect, as manufactured money can never create wealth. The consequences of the implosion of debt and assets will lead to the biggest transfer of wealth in history. As debt implodes, so will all the bubble assets. Stocks, bonds, and property will decline between 80% and 100%. This is difficult for most people to accept, but just remember that the Dow declined by 90% between 1929 and 1932, and 2000 to 2002, the NASDAQ declined by 80%. I'm going to just interject here. That's pretty interesting because 2000 to 2002, that's not that long ago. And we had a stock market sector, which was called the NASDAQ, and it lost 80% of its value in a two-year period. So do people forget that? When, When people think that the stocks won't go down, are they forgetting something that happened 15 years ago? It's pretty incredible. Then he goes on to say, Neither of these examples involved the global debt situation or asset bubble that we are in now. This time, the world must unwind $2 quadrillion of debt, unfunded liabilities, and derivatives. That is 29 times global GDP of $70 trillion, and therefore of a magnitude that will lead to a collapse of the financial system. Governments as well as members of the media are discussing taxing the wealthy to create more equality. Since the wealthy, especially in the US, control the system, higher taxation will be difficult to achieve. In Europe, the socialists will most likely increase taxes for the wealthy, but higher taxes are not going to be required to solve the problem. The coming asset implosion will tax the rich much more than any politician could ever achieve. On average, the wealthy are likely to lose up to 90% of their wealth. At the same time, the debt, either personal or public, that the average person is responsible for will also implode. Thus, the wealthy could lose 90% or more of their wealth, and the poor will lose their debt. This will be the biggest wealth transfer in history, but it won't happen without strife. There will be social unrest and possible civil war before all this is over. This was not the case during the 1930s Depression, except for in Germany with the persecution of the Jews. Today, population in the U.S. or most European countries as not as homogeneous as it was in the 1930s. The great number of immigrants in many Western countries will lead to much greater conflict and unrest than in the 1930s. Except for the average person who is likely to become debt-free after the implosion of the financial system, the major beneficiaries will be the investors who have no debt and hold hard assets such as agricultural land, commodity investments, including precious metals, of course, and also certain food sector investments, which will benefit from food shortages and food price inflation. If we look at the levels that various markets could reach in coming years, they might seem totally unrealistic in today's euphoric phase. The Dow is today around 23,400. We are now in a melt-up phase that could see markets continue to go up substantially before they top. But the risk is very high, and any surprise will be to the downside. So anyway, what he's saying is that If the stock market crashed 90% in 1929 to 1932 and part of the market that was in a huge bubble crashed 80% just 15 years ago in 2002, what does that say for the possibility of the market today? I could go on and on and on. I kind of have. I don't want to bore you with a bunch of gloom and doom. But like I say, my mission here is to try to make sure that you are protecting yourself and not getting suckered into this trap that paper money and paper assets seem to be bubbling into these days. It's pretty amazing. If you look at these charts, you could take a chart right now of like Apple. I'm not sure I saw a blurb on the television today, but I wasn't listening. I just saw it from a distance. And it looked like they were talking about Apple being at new highs, and I'm really not sure that's the case. But it just seems really amazing to me that stocks could be at all-time highs with the amount of strife and the amount of unemployment that I see as a businessman who spends most of his day every day on Mangrove Avenue in Chico. I see a lot of strife that does not indicate a healthy economy, to say the least. And, of course, for Thanksgiving, it's a good idea to remember that there's a lot of good organizations in our area that are actually feeding a lot of people and I heard on Jerry O'Lennon's show the other day the Megalia Church had a huge thing where I think 1,000 to 1,500 people have a turkey dinner, which is pretty good. I'm not sure what the date was on that one. I do know uh, Jesus Center feeds a lot of Thanksgiving dinners, and it's really good to know that the local charities do, a, do the best they can to help people. But this economy, it's, it's just not as good as they say it is. So we're going to come back with a little Thanksgiving trivia, some fun with that. And I look forward to this great holiday week. So Harold Littlejohn CPA, I'll see you right after this break. Stay tuned.
2: Every day, I wake up at five to give dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at five to give dad his medicine. At six, I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at five to give dad his medicine. At six, I make his breakfast. At seven, I shower. Every day, I wake up at five. For
1: those caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community to help us better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Carol Littlejohn here, welcome back to Business Buzz. Well, Thanksgiving's upon us. It's a fun American holiday. I hope everybody's ready for a nice Day off from work, at least, and maybe a nice meal. I've got some real interesting trivia. First, the business side of the trivia is, well, I'm going to start with I'm going to start with the fact that the first Thanksgiving was actually a three-day celebration. Now, I did I never knew that. I was just reading this from a Thanksgiving trivia article, and. Today Thanksgiving is one day, maybe two if you count Black Friday, but apparently the Pilgrims wanted to party even harder. Governor William Bradford organized the feast, inviting the Plymouth colonists Native American allies, but it was only until the Wapanoag Indian guests came and joined the Pilgrims that they decided to extend the affair. So that's kind of cool. I guess it lasted three days, a lot more than one. And uh, there is... Now, here's a little bit of a negative on the Thanksgiving lore. There is truly no definitive proof that the bird we wait all year to eat, which is talking about the turkey, was even offered to guests back in 1621. However, they did indulge in other interesting foods, like lobster, seal, and swan. Now that, that doesn't sound too great. I'm not sure about uh, seal and swan. Uh, I'm Lobster is interesting, too, but. I won't get into that whole thing. Now, there is a, let me see what else we got. Oh, the woman behind Mary Had a Little Lamb is also responsible for Thanksgiving's recognition as a national holiday. I didn't know that. In 1863, writer and editor Sarah Josepha Hale Convinced President Abraham Lincoln to officially declare Thanksgiving a national holiday. Hmm. That's interesting. She wrote countless articles and letters to persuade the president, and the rest is history. Well, that, uh, that's good. So I guess uh, Lincoln, Lincoln has other things even more than, uh, more than just uh, winning the Civil War. Poor guy. Things didn't end too well. Now, here's another interesting fact. Uh, I think everybody's aware of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. That's always a lot of fun. The first Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade didn't feature any balloons. Hmm. But when the parade made its big debut in 1924, it did have something that might be even cooler than balloons, animals from the Central Park Zoo. Okay, so, you know, for some reason, Macy's in New York just kind of became... Synonymous with Thanksgiving, so I guess, that's, I guess that's a good thing. Now, here's a real interesting fact that's uh, definitely a business buzz-related item. A Thanksgiving mix-up inspired the first TV dinners. Now, that one I couldn't believe, so here we go. In 1953, a Swanson employee accidentally ordered a colossal shipment of Thanksgiving turkeys. 260 tons to be exact. To get rid of them all, salesman Gary Thomas came up with the idea of filling 5,000 aluminum trays with the turkey along with cornbread dressing, gravy, peas, and sweet potatoes. They were sold for 98 cents and were a hit. Within one year, over 10 million were sold. Now, I think that's, uh, that's pretty amazing because the TV dinner is definitely... Has become a. I mean, if you go to the when you go to the store, you notice that frozen section. It's got like aisles of just different looking bowls, rice, pasta, uh, meat, uh, vegetables. TV dinners are just huge, so it's kind of interesting that the Thanksgiving turkey is responsible for the beginning of the turkey uh, of the TV dinner. I'm sorry. Okay, now we have some business fun facts for Thanksgiving. The monetary value of all the turkeys eaten for Thanksgiving each year is $670 million. The average Thanksgiving turkey's 16-pound physique and the 91-cent-per-pound going rate for whole frozen turkeys. Wow. So, that's $670 million. That's pretty amazing. $48,052 is the average household income in the four U.S. towns that have Turkey in their names. Does anybody know any of these towns? There's Turkey Creek, Arizona, Turkey Town, North Carolina, Turkey Creek Village, Louisiana, and Turkey City, Texas, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. That's 36% less than the 74,000 average earned by the American average American household. Okay. $50.11. I believe this might be from a year ago, but um, the average cost of a 10 person Thanksgiving meal, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. Unfortunately, the five or so hours of exercise that it will take to burn off the 4,500 calories consumed by the average person, 3,000 from the meal and 1,500 from snacking and drinks, figure to be worth even more. Well, you know, to be honest, I guess if you were valuing the pound of turkey at $0.91, then I suppose it could be 10 persons could eat a Thanksgiving meal for $50, but only if it's $0.90 a pound turkey, because $5 a piece, that sounds kind of hard to do. But then again, if you're just eating $0.90 per pound turkey, plus some vegetables, have you ever noticed if you go to the store and just stick to the vegetable area, you'll spend a lot less? than if you head to the more expensive boxed and and packaged items. And I remember one tip I learned from my nutrition class when I was at Chico State, Cal State Chico, I should say. It was like, do you ever notice that everything good is around the edge of the store? So all around the edge of the store is the bakery and the homemade bread, the homemade deli items, the milk, the cheese, the butter, The yogurt, the good stuff is all around the edge, the eggs, things like that, and the vegetables, but the interior of the store is all the packaged, expensive, overpriced, sugary stuff. You ever notice that? One thing I did notice the other day, which I was, I'm not shocked, but it was kind of weird. I was at a, I was out of town and I had a bowl of cereal for breakfast at a restaurant and it was one of those ones that came in a box because it was like a buffet breakfast. And the cornflakes actually said if you notice some of the things you buy at the store, it says non GMO product, making sure that you don't get genetically engineered food. And it says non GMO. Well, the cornflakes box actually said genetically engineered food. It's like they, I didn't know they had to advertise that, but they did. I'm not super young. I plan on living along a lot more years, but I'm not a real young guy. If I was a lot younger, I might shy away from the genetically modified food, but I'm not so sure you can really avoid it anyway, so I'm not going to take a side on that right now. Here's another factoid, $299.60. The amount spent by the average Thanksgiving weekend shopper in 2015, so I think these figures are a year or so old according to the National Retail Federation. That accounted for almost one-third of the average person's whole holiday budget of $953, and the timing was no coincidence. Nearly one-third of Thanksgiving shoppers said they were motivated by sales and promotions. Well, that's kind of smart. Despite the discounts, it's important to keep spending under control during the holiday shopping season. Americans racked up more than $52 billion in debt during the final three months of last year, according to Wallet Hub's quarterly credit card debt reports. Boy, that's not good. Okay, here comes another factoid. Now, I know this is a year or two old now, because it says $2.06, the average price of a gallon of regular gasoline last Thanksgiving. Oh, boy. I do notice that now, even in Chico, it's getting hard to find gas much under $3.00. But I do know that if you look at the national averages, I believe they're always about fifty, at least 50 or 60 cents lower than ours. And the low price in like the Midwest is probably, I'm guessing right now, would probably be around 230 or something. So we're definitely higher. We also had that 12-cent state tax kick in on November 1st that everyone was protesting about a few weeks ago. But it's a little bit disappointing to see that most gas stations are if they aren't at three dollars, they're pretty darn close. And I think the lowest gas I've seen lately has been like two seventy-nine or two eighty-four or something. So yeah, the gas situation isn't looking that good. Well remember, folks, everything in the world's going up, up, up except gold and silver. So we just talked about that. Okay, here's another factoid about Thanksgiving. Oh, this is not a good one. $28 million. The amount of property losses caused by home cooking fires each Thanksgiving, according to FEMA, our friends at the Emergency Management Agency, home cooking fires are actually three times more common on Thanksgiving than the typical day, according to the National Fire Protection Association. I think that's kind of logical. I'm sure there's lots of people who don't really turn their oven on for six straight hours too many other days other than Thanksgiving. So if there's a wire that's about to be shorted or something that's about to pop, I would imagine Thanksgiving would be the likely day that that would happen. What does that say about how often we eat home-cooked meals? Well, the average person spent roughly $7,000 on food in 2015, and about 43% of that went to food away from home. So sounds like they... Most people eat out about half the time, which uh, I'm not sure if I would qualify for that or not. So anyway, that little article was just a U.S. news article that I thought was interesting. But Thanksgiving's really a, it's a nice holiday because it's not it's not super religious as far as it's not Christian, it's not Muslim, it's not Jewish. It's just kind of a basic American holiday. And I know families get together, and it's just a it's a nice day to just kind of reflect on things that you're thankful for. So I guess I'd like to just kind of thank, you know, just some things like I thank, thank goodness that uh, I have a, a nice business. I have a great family. I enjoy every day in some respect, even if I have to work hard. I enjoy the people I know. I'm thankful for the fact that I have a circle of people that I talk to and it's just a good thing just to be part of a group of people. I think living in Chico and uh, northern California adds to that. I think about it every day when I take my 7 or 8 minute commute to work from home to the office and I realize that where I used to live in the bay area it would be at least a half hour with good or low traffic and it could be a disaster with a lot of traffic and an, Every time I drive to work and I get there in seven or eight minutes, I just really feel thankful that I live in a place like Chico, where it's still got that small town feel. I've mentioned these things before. My son was a tennis player, and it's really nice because he was able to have his picture in the newspaper when he won a tennis tournament and for winning the high school tennis. And you know, small towns are good for that. Uh, you get into a big city. You know, little fish in a big pond. It's just you're not going to get quite as much individual attention here. Most people here, I think, are sort of happy to be here. They're not forced to be here. I think when you get down to Los Angeles and the Bay Area, you realize that probably a very large percentage of the people that are driving down that freeway would love to be somewhere else, but for whatever reason, economically or job-wise, they have to be in the big city. They have to be in Los Angeles, whatever. Uh, I just really feel that we're very lucky and we should be thankful for being in a place like Chico and the North State. It's just a whole different lifestyle. I've lived in the other, I never lived in an inner city, but I lived in the suburbs of the Bay Area, uh, the East Bay, and even back then, the traffic was stressful, getting to school, you had to either get on a bus or ride a bike quite a long ways. KXX Paradise, K280GL Chico, and K283AR Chico, Yuba City, Marysville.
2: Rock House Dining and Espresso is known for their patio. Enjoy the ducks and chickens visiting the patio in their environmental, farm fresh, lively atmosphere. Rock House is an iconic landmark in Butte County since the 1930s. Seven minutes north of the Lime Saddle Bridge, only two miles past the hardware store. Originally built in 1937, the two buildings served as restaurant and tavern, shower house, barber shop, gas station, and cafe. Live music every Saturday night in the Fireside Room. All natural hot spice cider, mochas, cappuccinos, caramel macchiatos, and pumpkin pies made right here from fresh pumpkins. Kent Westfield, Christian singer-songwriter, is bringing acoustic music he's putting on his current album. Call before coming by for a list of live music at 532-1889 at Rock House Dining and Espresso on Highway 70 in Yankee Hill. Come gather gathering people wherever you roam. And admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. Oh, the times Hello,
1: welcome back. This is Eric, your host of Unfiltered Air. Boy, oh boy, here we are at Thanksgiving. And we know that there's lots of football games coming up, right? There's lots of stuff like that happening, parades and so forth. Just coming out of the NFL yesterday, this is unbelievable. Their, their current solution, as they pander to these d- black players who are actually delusional, they're completely wrong about violence perpetrated against black people by police. Statistically, they're f- completely false. We talked about it yesterday. You are in far more risk if you're a white person confronted by the police than you are th- a black person. Per capita, that means by per um, number, per the population.